Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you once again for joining us on the program and for faithfully continuing to tune in. Uh, if you've missed any of the programs, you can go back and watch them. Uh, they are archived on YouTube, and uh, there's actually a play playlist, I think, that uh, specifically uh, uh, contains everything that we've done on the book of Revelation. We're somewhere around 100 programs. We have also, I might mention, released the first two volumes of the audio of this. If you'd like to call the number on the screen or go to our website, you can order volume one and volume two that has the audio from the programs that we have uh, shared, and you can get them and listen to them at any a given time. Let me just say also in, in uh, way by way of thanks, thank you again for your very positive comments and uh, the, 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 the response that we've gotten from this has been 90-something percent positive. And uh, I know it's an alternative view. I know it seems like we're swimming against the tide. But I believe to me, I think if you can see in context what's happening here, it will help you understand uh, an understanding of God, at least that's covenantal. What we're doing in this particular segment is we're dealing with the vials of wrath that are being poured out in the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation. We've already laid the groundwork for that to show you that uh, these are the seven last plagues. Uh, they are in fulfillment. The last segment I dealt with, they're in fulfillment of what Luke's gospel said uh, in chapter 20 through 22. These be the days of vengeance that all things which are written might be fulfilled. Uh, to God's covenant people uh, and those who receive their Messiah, the day of the Lord is a day of light. To those who don't, it's a day of darkness and gloominess and clouds. Uh, it is both the great and terrible day of the Lord at the same time. So to me, the book of Revelation is twofold. It is what is coming to the unbelieving apostates of the judgment of God, but to the believer, the book of Revelation is a revelation of what you have been redeemed from. I, the more I preach this, the more excited I get because I realize I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We were reading to you last week from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 to show you how that these vials that are being poured out are in fulfillment of God keeping His end of the covenant bargain of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, he's listing all the curses that would come upon this people uh, if they would not uh, obey His word and obey His law and keep His commands. But even in the midst of that, God gave us redemption from... Uh, you know, from uh, the judgments, even of the book of, uh, or, or from the law of Moses, because none of us were able to keep those laws or rules, but God sent us a Messiah and a Savior, and Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. So for us, I've drank the blood and the chalices of the blood of communion, which says this death was my death, and because of what Jesus did, <clears throat> he already drank the cup of wrath for me so that when I drink it, it is the cup of blessing because it declares to me, Jesus has redeemed you, not just from sin, but from the curse of the law. And when you hear things like, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh, he's not simply talking about you getting a ticket out of here. He's talking about the redemption from an old covenant 
curse and an old covenant paradigm. You have been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus being made a curse for you. However, to these apostates in the book of Revelation, and we shared with you out of the book of Luke last week, let me just read that again to kind of reiterate that this is the people upon whom he's talking about, but Luke 21 verse 20 says, and when you shall see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things, all things, which are written may be fulfilled. That's not my opinion. That's what he says in the book of Luke. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Jesus was talking to his contemporaries. Matthew 24's version of this, Jesus tells them in verse 34, this generation right here won't pass till all these things be fulfilled. What generation? I've seen that twisted and maneuvered so many ways, but it's the same word generation that was used in chapter 23 when Jesus said that upon this generation will come the blood of all the martyrs from the blood of Zacharias to the blood of, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, that upon this generation. So it's the same generation that Jesus prophesied the woes to, that in verse 34 he said, This generation will not pass to all this is fulfilled, because these are the days of vengeance that would come upon that people. Uh, you can't stretch that. Uh, You've you got to really do some, uh, uh, some, some uh, uh, you know, uh, hermeneutical gymnastics, if you will, to make that uh, jump to something else. And then it goes on to say, verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars. And upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity in the sea, and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then you'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. This is not a redemption as in a flight out, it's a redemption as being redeemed from the curse of the law. And I've shared with you and will probably continue to share with you in some future segments how that it's not an unusual concept in the mind of the Jewish believer to see God coming in clouds. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus told Caiaphas, how they would know he was the Son of Man is because he told Caiaphas, from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And one of the things that he told them would be the sign of his coming and the fact that it's not a literal visible coming, uh, the fact that you need a sign ought to tell you that. But the sign would be when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies. So he said, uh, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, in other words, cloud comings was a symbol throughout the Old Testament of God using enemy armies that God would come against them in judgment and he would make the cloud his chariots. He would come upon the wings of the wind. He would, I mean, there was a multiple cloud comings down through the scripture. Just take your own concordance and Bible and go back and see where God came in judgment upon clouds over and over and over to an apostate people. But in the midst of it, there is a redemption that was drawing nigh here because it was the conclusion and the close of the old covenant age and the birthing of the messianic kingdom of Christ. That has been in operation now for 2,000 years. If that's not true, you and I are not in the kingdom right now. But I believe the moment I got born again, I got translated out of the kingdom of darkness 
and into the kingdom of his dear son. And so then we read to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can go back and read some of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, did, I did see also as I was finishing, we ran out of time the last time, but some of the things that, that were part of the curses is like, um, let me just read this. Uh, verse 54, this is Deuteronomy 28. And like I said, I read all of this up to this uh, in prior segments. But it says, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom, toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath done hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates. I, I, I got to thinking as I read this after it went off the air of a story that I read in the writings of Josephus in the War of the Jews, where there was a woman that the famine had become so bad that she literally had killed her own son and her own baby and was roasting that child and eating the flesh of her own child. And so that the Roman soldiers, when they came in, she literally, and they saw her eating this, they, they abhorred this thing because it was that bad of a situation. And here was a woman without any kind of tenderness towards her own child who would do in fulfillment of what Deuteronomy said, eat the flesh of his own children because he had nothing left in the siege. I'm telling you, the siege of Jerusalem was that bad. It also talks about signs in the writings of Josephus that appeared over the temple, as it were, what looked like a sword, appeared there for months and months and months over the top of the source. And to them that were deceived, they thought that was a sign that God was going to help them. But to the ones who had revelation, that they knew that that was a sign of a catastrophe that was coming. So uh, in my notes, I've written down Deuteronomy chapter 28, 15 to the end of the chapter is a listing of all the curses that would come upon apostate Israel following, for following of the gods and breaking the covenant. The pouring out of the bowls of wrath is the fulfillment of this covenant promise. It is God keeping his end of the covenant bargain, although he gave them every opportunity to repent, was not willing that any should perish. However, they perished in their rebellion and apostasy and forced God's hand to judge them according to his promise. The trumpets and bowls do have distinct differences. The effect of the trumpet judgments are often, if you compare them side by side, they're very similar. The effects of the trumpet judgments are only partial, affecting one-third the earth of the trees, the green sea, uh, the sea, the ships, springs of water, the sun, the moon, and the stars. See Revelation 8, 6 through 12. Whereas the effects of these bowls of judgments are total. This is the whole complete, that, that what God said here in uh, Luke 21 uh, that, uh, that all things which are written might be fulfilled. In other words, this was filled up the wrath of God. This is God's final judgment, and most of these plagues and all of these plagues are pointed towards primarily uh, this harlot city, which we'll show you, and we get into the great Babylon, uh, that it was how has the faithful city become a harlot. It was the apostate uh, people who, again, that this thing was being poured out upon. And, but it goes on to say uh, the bowls are total. The bowls are associated with the seven last plagues as seen in Revelation 15. A likely scenario is that the trumpets depict preliminary calamities that fall upon Israel during the Jewish war, Jewish war while the bowls present plagues associated with the final and utter devastation of Jerusalem. Uh, now let me just begin. We'll go down through this verse by verse and we'll try to show you how each one of them were filled. It says in chapter 16 verse 1 it says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, to the seven angels, go your way and pour out your vows of wrath upon the earth. 
And the first wind poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Now, if you can remember, I already read to you out of the book of Deuteronomy where there would come a grievous sore, scurvy, itch, on and on it went. Uh, I'm just going to read to you some of the notes, and actually some of the source for this, again, is a book called Revelation, Four Views, edited by Steve Gregg. You can go back. You could probably find that book if you'd like it, but it gives uh, that. Uh, let me just go also tell you that several of the sources, so that you can find sources that I've used, are Days of Vengeance by David Chilton, also The Perusia by J. Stuart Russell, uh, Rapturous by uh, Jonathan Weldon. Uh, it's actually a friend of mine. is a book that was just writ written recently. I think all of those are great resources uh, for showing uh, some of these things. Those are some of the writers that I have read in research of this. So some of this is coming from, especially uh, a lot of this is coming from uh, the four views of the book of Revelation and comparing them. Uh, the first bowl, this plague was likely symbolic, though there is evidence that the literal boils and rashes were present due to the lack of proper sanitation in the besieged city. Uh, Jer Jerusalem, especially during the final five-month siege from April to September of 70 AD. Remember, there were thousands of dead bodies, and the streets were filled with blood and sewage, making disease very rampant. It can be seen that in verse 11, the people were still affected, were still afflicted as they remained unrepentant in their sin and rejection of Christ. It should be noted also that the plagues in the first bowl of judgment parallel the plagues that Moses brought down on Egypt in Exodus chapter 9, verse 8 through 12. Remember I talked about in a prior segment how that this whole imagery that's being drawn is about the Exodus coming out of a physical Egypt but now in the New Covenant, it's them coming out of a spiritual bondage. And so uh, what you see in the book of Exodus poured out as far as, as plagues are in Exodus 9, verse 8 through 12. Also a striking coincidence that is, as, is that this is the same warning that Moses gave the people of Israel if they were to become disobedient and unfaithful to his covenant. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 27 through 35. So you see, again, a lot of these plagues are absolutely and completely being fulfilled. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became the blood as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Uh, in my notes, I put notice the parallel with the first plague in Egypt. The Nile had turned to blood. However, the blood is not free-flowing. It is like the blood of a corpse, clotted, coagulated, and putrefied. Judea was being compared to the sea, which has been seen elsewhere in Revelation to represent uh, possibly even Gentile nations. Josephus writes uh, uh, of a battle that took place on the Sea of Galilee in the writings of Josephus. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the source in just a minute. On the Sea of Galilee, in which the Romans overtook the fleeing Jews in boats and massacred them in the water. And that's in the world of the Jews, number 3, 10, verse 9. Um, and uh, this occurred during uh, uh, right prior to 70 A.D. In early spring 67 A.D., which was three and a half years before Jerusalem's final downfall. Now again, that's the times of the Gentiles, the times, times and a half of times, the 42 months that Daniel prophesied. It is the last three and a half years of the closing from 60, I believe it is 66 A.D. to 70 A.D. or 65, I forget exactly, uh, but it's three and a half years before Jerusalem's final downfall. Vespasian first entered Judea 
with a 60,000 member army. In the campaign which was to follow, he destroyed at least 150,000 inhabitants of Galilee and Judea along with many towns. One of the first towns Vespasian crushed was Joppa because its inhabitants had provoked his men by their frequent piracies at sea. The Jews there tried to flee from Vespasian on their ships, but Vespasian has helped by, was helped by a tremendous storm that blew in just as they began to flee. Their vessels were crushed against each other and against the rocks, and when this slaughter was complete, more than 4,200 bodies were strewn along the coast, and a very long stretch of the coast was stained with blood. I, I, I mean, to me, these are absolute historic fulfillments of what these plagues were declaring. I think we have shown you how they said in the time text, how they fit with the old covenant paradigm. You can make your own decision. We report, you decide, if I can say it like that. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Uh, the third bowl was literal streams, were, or literal streams of blood are well documented during the siege of Jerusalem. As blood flowed freely in the streets and polluted the water sources, this occurred uh, immediately following the burning of the second temple in Jerusalem. The Romans then hoisted their own idol-covered banners at every key point of the temple area and plundered and burned the houses in the city. They murdered by the sword every Jew they could find, man, woman, and child. Their only, companion was, uh, their only compassion was for the dead whom they encountered in mass numbers. In many of the houses, mostly victims <coughs> of the famine, Josephus, Josephus writes, but although they had this, commi this commiseration for such as were destroyed in that manner, yet had they not the same for those that were still alive, but they ran every one through whom they met with and obstructed uh, the very lanes with their dead bodies and made the whole city run down with blood to such a degree, uh, indeed, that the fire of the many houses was quenched by the blood that came from these people they were killing, and that came from the War of the Jews, uh, from the writings of Josephus. The amount of blood that flowed not only in Jerusalem, but also throughout the surrounding region could possibly bring to mind a passage in Revelation chapter 14, verse 19 through 20, which says, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it in the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trodden outside of the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle. Literally 184 miles or 1,600 stadia. This was the understanding of John Wesley also in 1703 and 1791, who in his commentary on this passage wrote this, And the winepress was trodden by the Son of God, Revelation 19.15, without the city, the city of Jerusalem. They to whom St. John writes, when a man said the city immediately understood this, and the blood came out of the winepress, even to the horses' bridles, so deep at its first flowing from the winepress, 1,600 furlongs, so far at least 200 miles through the whole land of Palestine. This stuff is not in your future. It's historically documented that it was fulfilled. Uh, we also have this account of Josephus. Now, this destruction that fell upon the Jews 
as it was not inferior to any of the rest in itself, so did it still appear greater than it really was. And this because not only the whole of the country through which they had fled was filled with slaughter, and the Jordan River could not be passed over by reason of the dead bodies that were in it, but because the lake Asphaltitis, the modern Dead Sea, was also full of dead bodies that were carried down into, down into it by the river. And now Placidus slew such as had fled to the lake, inasmuch that all Perea had either surrounded, surrendered themselves or were taken by the Romans as far as Macarius, uh, as far as Macarius, M-A-C-H-E-R-U-S. Josephus this came from Josephus in the account of the Lake of Asphaltis, War of the Jews, book 4, 7, and verse 6. Verse 6 seems to point to Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The killing of the prophets was among the great sins. This can be seen, for example, in Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 through 16, for your notes' sake. Luke 13, 33 and 34, and Acts 7, verse 52, Jesus named this fact is the very reason that the symbolized blood of the righteous would be poured out in judgment upon that generation which heard him speak in fulfillment of Matthew 23, verse 31 through 36. And I've already uh, shared how that was uh, where Jesus said that upon that generation would come the blood of all. You have, he, he said, you have slew the prophets, now give them blood to drink. I'm telling you, these things have been fulfilled. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. I'm telling you again, this is in confirmation of what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 23, verse 31 through 36. It was being fulfilled exactly like Jesus said, that upon them would come the blood of all. The fourth angel poured his vial into the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Note that this is the opposite of the blessing of the Israelite received in Exodus when Israel was shielded from the heat of the sun by the glory cloud in Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22, and also in Psalm 91, 1 through 6. But also in Deuteronomy 28, 22, said, The Lord shall smite thee with consumption and with fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with a sword and with the blasting and with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. You see, that's powerful to me because when they came up out of Egypt, God gave them protection from the heat of the sun by giving them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was a symbol that now God's protection and his covenant guarantee to protect them was no longer in place and they were giving to the hands of their enemies to be plundered in fulfillment of what the Deuteronomy curses declared. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. I tell you, these were some hard-headed people, man, to not repent. And the fifth angel sounded, verse 10. And, and the fifth angel, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not sounded. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. You see this again in the book of Exodus, chapter 21 through 22. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Remember uh, that in Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, 
that God calls the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he calls that the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So God was pouring out His darkness again upon this people because He's trying to get them to come out of all of this. Uh, trying to he's trying to get them to come out of the bondage. He's trying to bring them into a new covenant. I mean, to me, it would look like it's a whole lot better deal to just simply receive your Messiah and the deliverance that He offers. I also put in my notes, just as a side note, that, uh, uh, that we could compare that to God desiring to release His people from slavery of religion. The old covenant, we were slaves, and the new covenant, we're sons. We must also remember that the beast here could also be the beast that looks like a lamb and talks like a dragon. But we must also consider the possibility that God is pouring out judgment upon the Roman beast as well. Remember the lamb declared war on the beast in Revelation 13, most of which is thought with the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. Uh, however, history continues to record that, that the sword of his mouth ultimately, Rome became a Christian nation within just a few centuries. The fifth bowl, or the fifth vial, this verse clearly seems to be pointed uh, to the Roman Empire. The throne of the beast is well thought to be the city of Rome itself. Uh, David Chilton uh, uh, writes that, uh, and says, all, all, almost, although most of the judgments throughout Revelation are aimed specifically at apostate Israel, the heathen, who, the, the heathen who join Israel against the church come under condemnation as well. Indeed, the great tribulation itself would prove to be the hour of testing, that hour which would come upon the whole world to test them. Uh, the darkness referred here, which comes upon the beast in Rome, is, a sim is symbolically taken to be uh, political, ter political turmoil and overthrow of its leaders, in particular when Nero, who was the beast in a singular tense, committed suicide in 60 AD, AD, 68 AD. Upon his death, the Roman Empire quickly began to crumble, and the following year, 69 AD, became the year known as the, four, the year of the four emperors because the rise and fall of four more leaders, Galba, Otho, Vitellus, all of whom reigned for eight months or less. Uh, so this was actually being poured out upon them as well, and darkness was upon the seed of the beast. It was a time of great darkness upon all the earth, and gross darkness had come upon the people. But in the midst of it, God was emerging in a people and says, But yet I, the Lord, shall arise upon thee, and my glory shall be seen in thee. And Gentiles shall come to thy rising, uh, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. I think it's incredible. Uh, uh, and it goes on to say, and, the, and they blasphemed, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of the pains of their sores and of their deeds. And uh, we're about to run out there of time, uh, so we'll pick up next with the sixth vial and see uh, what we can cover in this next segment. Uh, I trust you seeing how, and I, I know I'm, it's meticulous when I read some of these things, but it helps me systematically show you how they were fulfilled in light of each one of these bowls of judgment, and you can have them to go back and look at. Take a moment to uh, write to us or call that number on the screen. We do need your help. I say that uh, you know, in all sincerity, with no gimmicks, no uh, manipulations. We simply need your help to continue to take the gospel like this around the world. If you can help us do that today, and the Lord lays it on your heart, we'll appreciate it very greatly. Tune in again next week. Thank you for joining in. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.